Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live at 9 a.m. Central Time from This radio show is free all the time to my listeners. I have an archived audio library of spiritual and metaphysical teachings here available free at any time of the day or night to everyone on earth with access to a computer. These shows are educational, and most of the time I'll be interviewing others who will be telling about what they know, the books they've written, or the spiritual work that they do. And sometimes I'll be the one doing the teaching, so please join us anytime, either live or later in the archives. I have a free email newsletter to sign up for that or just to read what's on my website. Go to hotpinklotus.com. Also, I've published two books so far, Edina, Energy Medicine from the Stars, available on Kindle, and Akashic Records, Case Studies of Past Lives, available on Amazon and Kindle. The second book, Akashic Records, is about Akashic Records readings that I've done for other people and the effects of these readings on their lives. I'm still doing Akashic Records readings, so if you're interested, contact me. The call-in number for this show, if you want to make a comment or ask a question on the air, is 347-945-5309. Well, good morning. Today is the 14th of June, 2013, and this is Lois Wetzel. Um, I've additionally, by the way, published a third book, Sacred Journeys and Vision Quests, about uh, travel to uh, sacred sites on the planet and also how you can have sacred experiences in the most unexpected moments on a trip to a grocery store. So all of those books can be found on Amazon and Kindle. And today, I'm going to be interviewing Elaine Ireland, who has been working with the Tarot in depth for most of her life. And that would be probably 30 to 40 years. We'll ask her in just a minute if she knows how long that's been. And then we're also going to talk about her work as a police psychic and finding um, missing persons for families and uh, police forces. So, good morning, uh, Elaine Ireland. Good morning. Thanks for having. This will be fun. Thank you. I haven't done an interview in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, you know, when someone really focuses in on, on one particular thing, like psychic work, or if they just focus in on Tarot or whatever, like you have, and you're not focusing on 14 different things like I do, <laughs> it's really <laughs> awesome to see the depth of information that a person has when they really um, focus in narrowly like that. It's, it's, it goes really deep. So let me ask you first of all, Elaine, how long have you been doing psychic work, including Tarot? You know, I honestly have to say all of my life because that's the, fam- the kind of family I grew up in. But for the public professionally, since I was 17, and that happened to be the mother of a friend of mine. And Uh I turned 69 this summer, so that's a long time to work with the public. I have taken some years off periodically to take a break, as we all need to do, 
and I took some time off when my first child was born. He was born profoundly retarded, so we had to, to focus and dedicate our 24-7 to him for the first four years of his life. I didn't do any work then except in relationship to him and my family. But other than that, no matter what else I've been doing, teaching, elementary school, doing real estate, I've always done this, always. It's never not been a part of my life. So the tarot, I grew up with the tarot cards. My grandmother read them. She brought them with her from Ireland, and uh, they were around the house. So it was a matter of picking up, and she taught me to use them as a, a psychic development tool, but also a seer tool. But what she didn't teach me consciously were the historical value of the symbols and where they came from. I started plugging into that probably probably in my 30s. I started picking up tarot books, and there were not many on the shelves at that time, believe it or not, 30 years ago. The explosion oh, of tarot materials been in the last 10 or 15, really. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe 20, but that that they're just like half a shelf. And... A lot of the bookstores didn't carry them. The mainstream bookstores, which then was pretty much owned by local folks, really didn't carry them. You had to dig around to find them, borrow them from friends, family. If you, you know, it was really strange. She had. Oh no! At all? No, not at all. And I was fortunate enough to run around with a crowd that was pretty uh, open-minded and. We'd switch both. I, I borrowed one from a girlfriend, and she had it in the lower drawer of her nightstand. She had two books, and one on astrology, too, by the way. And she said her husband wouldn't allow them to be in the library, their home library. Well, because so, people were so afraid of what their Christian yes. friends and relatives would say. Yes. And what's interesting. And how they'd be treated. Yes. What's interesting about the tarot cards is that they're called. There's one one version called the Book of Toth, T O T H, and T H O T H, and it's it's a book. It's a, they came together from all over the world. The their the the minor suit, your cups, your swords, your wands, and your and your your uh, pentacles are what your playing cards are based on, and most yes. people don't know that. And those all have symbols like the high priestess really represents a priest, or the pre, the hierophant rather really represents a priest, and it looks like a churchy scene. I mean, it tells the stories of everyday living simply that. It has nothing to do with demonology or heledonics or anything negative. Those card symbols tell you about everyday life and how we can relate to each other, and how we should treat each other. It gives us warnings about things that could come, could, not etched in stone, but the cards have gotten a bad rap over the years. And the major cards, which have names like star, moon, devil, yes, there is a devil card in there, and yes, there is a death card in there, those cards were the, were the original ones that were just used, only those. And all over Europe... You'll see tapestries and paintings that honor those cards in in a variety of styles because for a long time there were only maybe two, three styles, and they were called the Game of Kings. 
because only the major trumps were allowed to be played with by royalty or those of power. And over the years, the minor cards became something that, let's say, the peasants messed with or the local healer knew about. And they taught, it is said at one point, that they taught the masses the Bible with those cards. I equate it to coloring in our Bible classes at church. You have the, the, the story of the color of many, the, the code of many colors. Well, the kids color it. They use the pictures, though, with the uh, peasants or the less educated people because they couldn't read? That's true. That's true. Our children can't read. We have to teach them how to read. So in the meantime, they color, they color and we tell them the stories, like the coat of many colors or Mary at the well or Jesus on the cross, or whatever your religion is. I mean, let's not just get it into Christianity, because the Pentacles are actually considered to be the Jewish the Jewish set, the Jewish chapter, which is interesting. So yeah. the, the cards were used as a teaching tool for hundreds and hundreds of years. Some of the first plates were found in the 1500s in, in, along the Powell River, which some people say is why they're called the Tarot, but the Tariachis go all the way back to the, gosh, the Italian deck goes all, that particular Italian deck goes way back. So nobody really knows who, where they started, but that's what we have historically on the records of their first finding, a group of first findings. It is said that four uh, metal-type plates were found in King Tut's tomb, they're supposed to be in the Vatican right now. No, they didn't make the tour with that lovely exhibit. But the Vatican supposedly has so much, so much that's related secret. to the tarot. Yeah, secret, yeah. and they keep it skirt, uh, secreted away, so to speak. Yeah. So tell me, when when you look at tarot cards, do you go into a trance? No, I do not. I never have. In fact, my grandmother said you need to be alert. What happens if if someone is sitting in front of a reader and they get this dazed look on their face, they could very well be doing a trance. But they're also focusing. And nine times out of ten, spirit is coming through to talk to them. Now, that's a form of channeling or mediumship. We can talk about that another time if you want. But... It's a focusing. Any tool that any reader uses is is a focus to help them stay 100% with their their person sitting across from them or their group. For me, the tarot cards are a beautiful expression of what spirit is trying to tell. They're works of art. What spirit is trying to share with that person in front of me. When I'm reading the cards and I'm truly focused with that person, I don't hear anything around me. So it may look like I'm in a trance, but I'm really not. I'm I'm very aware if somebody whizzes by my table or I hear the phone ring, anything like that. But if I'm at a fair and it's real busy, that person is the only thing I pay attention to, hear, or see. Everything else is like a blur, like a bubble is around us. So they get 110% of my attention, spirit's attention. It's right there. Okay. So... If, um, so you're focused on the cards, the person, the meaning of the cards. Do you ever just 
sort of have out of the blue um, a new, you're looking at a card and suddenly you see something that you've never seen there before and you realize it's a message for that person. Suddenly something in the card means something to you that it didn't before? Yes, because it's very individual. Yes, the cards all have what we call face value. Those are the meanings that have come down with those cards for centuries. And I've heard readers say, I just read the cards. I don't use my intuition. I do that separately. If they want to come for a psychic reading, that's what I do. But I do both because those cards individually are a message for that person, that client. Yes, the person gets the, the, the face value. Absolutely. But other stuff comes through as well, and especially with the major arcana cards, they're so powerful. The major arcana cards have the least the least of symbols, the least of lines on them compared to the minor cards. That that's because they do what I call punch messages. You see you see the hermit, you know what it means. And then other messages come through because of the message of the hermit for that client. One one example to your question, as an answer to your question, is the star card. And on the star card are a bunch of little, there, there are eight stars. It is the number eight in the major arcana card. Seven of them are yellow. The center one is white. And there's what looks like an egret the bird and egret and i was doing a reading for a lady one afternoon and that egret actually started moving it caught my attention like it was moving reminded me of the harry potter pictures that talk <laughs> that are so fun yeah. to watch and it looked like it was going to fly off the card well i said something to her about that and she said oh my husband wants to breed more of our birds <laughs> You know, that didn't come to me psychically that her husband was a breeder of birds, but it got her attention, and it was a message to her to go slow, but yes, what he was trying to do would really improve their business, that that part of their world. So the cards, that's the first time and only time that has ever happened with any of the symbols on any of the cards that they would take motion like that, but that message was for her. So... so um you're not in a trance, but you do get psychic messages. Is that what you're saying? Yes. yes. Okay. So <clears throat> I guess my question is, um, well, you can get a psychic message without going into a trance. So tell us what a trance is like. A trance is rem- I'm sorry? Do you ever go, go into trance? I used to do a lot of trance work with two gentlemen here in Austin, one whose name was Tommy, the other one Lewis. They were, I don't think people should go into trances by themselves. Now, meditation is one thing. You, you have control over coming in and out of meditation. Your guides are there to help you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Trance work is a lot deeper. You'll, you'll feel it if you need to go to the bathroom. You'll hear the doorbell ring. But trance work, for me was removing my consciousness and sitting it on a... In fact, this is an exercise we used to do. We would put my conscious in a rocking chair up in the corner overseeing everything. My subconscious steps in and does the work. And Tommy and I, and, and Lewis and I too, 
got so good at working together that all they had to do was with three fingers touch my solar plexus and tell and tell me to take deep breaths and I was gone. Now, that's a really neat way for spirit to step in, for guides to step in, for a lost person to step in and say here I am. And it's like a really really deep 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 guided meditation. And Tommy okay. and I and Lewis and I were so good at working together, they could even walk with me. I told Tommy one day, I said, you don't need me. You could do the work by yourself. He said, I'm not going where you go. <laughs> so anyway. Okay, so yeah. when you talk about trance, you're talking about trance channeling, right? Yes. Because, it's a very, okay. very, you know, hypnotists use a trance state for controlling other people. Oh, which wait is, a minute, necessarily control you a hypnotist is different than hypnotherapy you know that you know that you do the work but a hypnotist on stage at a one of those stage performers yes okay i agree with that that that's a trance situation where they're not being malicious they're just they're entertaining or they're or, or even some professionals use it use trance work some form of trance work to help you stop smoking and lose weight and break habits and or create good habits, you know, that kind of thing. This is a little different in that it's more geared toward working with the spiritual realm, and that takes a little bit of training too because you don't know who you're going to run across on the other side. Yeah. So you need somebody there that can pull you up if you get into a frightful situation. Okay. So when I talk about trance, I talk about being in a light-altered state, as in when you're receiving psychic information. That's what I mean when I say a trance. Okay, trance to me is much deeper, much, much deeper. Yeah, what I call trance channeling. So what I, like Edgar Cayce did, he couldn't remember anything, actually. Um, That's, I mean, but it's so interesting that, that even in this field, we still don't have real rock solid clear definitions for things. We're, you know what I'm saying? That those two things mean, that word means two different things to us. Because I think I go into a light trance when I'm doing tarot readings. Because that's you might. That's why I say some people get this blank look on their face, and they. I've watched readers do it, and they may very well be in agreement with you. They are in a trance. Of sorts when they do their work. A light trance is what I would yeah, call Yeah, and whatever works and does the best for your public is what's good. As long as you have a way or of controlling it or somebody is there to help you come back if you need help to come back. Yeah. So what is the most surprising thing, aside from the flying bird, what's the most surprising thing you ever saw in a tarot reading? Like, for example, you predict something and you're going, okay, that can't happen, and they're thinking the same thing and then it does, or whatever. Oh, I think one of the most fun things that ever happened was I I did a reading for two friends that were going to uh, Cozumel, which doesn't sound like much, but this was a, for one of the girls, was a celebration for her five-year being free of cancer, and for the other young lady, it was um, her first time out of the United States, and they were both excited for different reasons, and I kept seeing this bowler hat, and 
um, and the hermit card kept coming up. Well, the hermit card has a the hermit card is a figure, a male figure with a, in a robe that stands very still, very few colors on the card, and he holds a lamp with, with which looks like it has a star in it. It's a, it represents light along the path, and and it also talks about high spiritual guidance and being on path, having having the journey. Whether it's in reverse or, or upright, well, I kept this card kept coming up for both of them. They did individual readings, and then they did a group. They did a couple, not a couple's reading, but for the two of them, just for the trip. Spent about two and a half hours with these ladies, and I kept seeing this bowler hat for this one person. Well, they're going to Cozumel. Don't bowler hats in Cozumel? Couldn't figure it out. Well, when they got back, she called me so excited, which was about two months later, and she said, "Let me tell you about the bowler hat." I said, oh, you found a bowler hat. She said, and the man under it. They were sitting in a bar one night in Cozumel and having a good time, and this English man came over and was talking to him along with his his group of people, his friends, and he wasn't being, uh, like, trying to pick her up or anything. He was just being pleasant. Well, when they got back to the room that night, there was a note for them on the door written by one of the girls that was with this group they recognized and it was an invitation to join the group the next morning, and it said, "A car will, if you want to go, a car will be downstairs to pick you up at 7 o'clock. Well, of course, they weren't going to miss on, out on that. And the card said, be sure and bring your bathing suits. It's an all-day junket. Okay. Did not tell them that they were going to a yacht. And they motored out to the yacht. They spent the morning. Did not see the mail that was supposed to be there come to find out he'd had to be pulled away he came back he got back early afternoon he owned the yacht he was the one who sent the invitation truly and when they were looking around he they had not been down into the the lower decks of the yacht yet until he came back and he escorted them specifically the two of them showed them the rest of the yacht and here he is in a picture with the Queen of England wearing a bowler hat. They were married nine months later. Wow. Yeah, when you said they were going to Cozumel and there was a bowler hat, I went, uh huh, and an Englishman wearing it. <laughs> That's what I was yeah. Didn't even dawn on me at the time. He did not come up in her reading at all. And and I figured out later that Spirit didn't tell her because he wanted her to Spirit wanted her to be deliciously excited. And surprise. Yeah. I've often seen that there are there are plenty of things that don't show up in a reading because if you know them too soon, it will mess things up for you. Yes. And, of course, she asked me, why didn't you see it? I said, I saw the bowler hat, sweetie. Spirit didn't want didn't want you to know about the man yet. Would you have Would you have paid any attention to the men? Oh, yes, of course I would have. You know, we joked about it, but my sense was, she was a little bit reserved, and she may not have put herself out there with such excitement if she was anticipating meeting the perfect man for her. Even and that's been almost... I'm sorry, go ahead. The thing is, if she'd known she was going to meet a man there, she might have uh, been not... She might not have reacted to him when he showed up in the bar to talk to her in a, a natural way. She might have been thinking, oh, is this the man? Is this the one I'm going to marry? And acting yeah. funny. Right. And maybe ignored a foreigner because 
you know, how, you know, you you worry about moving out of st- you know out of state, much less out of the country, which of course she did. But gosh, they've been over there over twenty years now, almost twenty five years now. So well, so how I still you, hear from her. How do well, I what? How did you wind up? What, when was the first time you did um, any? Finding of missing persons. How did that come to happen? I remember because I was 31 years old and I just moved back to Austin. And I hooked up with Colonel Jackson, who was the head of the Texas Parapsychology Association. And he asked me, he did a reading for me. He was a wonderful retired military officer. And he, he, Texas Parapsychology was a branch of the London Parapsychology Association that's been, uh, been, in existence for hundreds of years, literally. They had their offices in the Witch Tower in London for years. I don't know if they're still there. But they used to be a place, and I think they still are, wherever their location is, they used to be a place where people could send their predictions and be validated. And they would keep the predict. You had to send in handwritten predictions, no, no longer than three pages long, and they literally kept a file, a paper file, and you could go back five years later and validate. They also did their form of research. If you predicted something like medical breakthroughs, storms, they had a list of people who and their accuracy, percentage accuracy. Well, Colonel Jackson had run into them when he was in when he was stationed in England, and um, was fascinated. And that opened his world to psychic ability. Came back here, opened this chapter when he retired. I somehow found them, and I don't remember how I found them. But when he read for me, he asked me if I'd ever done trance work before. And I said, I've done heavy meditation, and yes, I'm familiar with the word trance. Yes, but we won't go into that now. So I, I volunteered for him to talk me down just to see if I was a candidate to help do other things. I was. He introduced me to Tommy and Lewis. We practiced and worked together. And then Colonel Jackson got a phone call from the Austin Police Department about a missing seven-year-old out of Dallas, actually. And he said, yes, we have two people here that might be of help, and made an arrangement with the family and a police officer and a, and a, a detective to come with them. What he would do was put us in trance first. We never saw the, the parents or people beforehand. We never met them, did not meet the police officers. Just he put us in trance, and then then they would come in and ask their questions. And the way I worked better was to, to know as little as possible except the victim, the age, and the point of missing. And then we'd work from there. And over time, I would work, I became the victim. And the little set, we found the little girl. She, unfortunately, we did not find her alive. But I could see her in pebbles. I saw her, literally, I followed the, she showed me to follow the trail of her clothes. And she gave me the name, a name. I didn't know it at the time. They knew that it was the name of a street. It was an, actually a, a county road number, and they recognized it. But it was like I was a little bird flying over and seeing it. I did not see who took her. I only saw her. 
I knew who took her on a psychic level. I didn't see them in trance. They found her body three days later. And that started a gate opening for about five or six years of people working with CTPA to work with either me or Jan in trance state. We had another guy there named Jack that was a wonderful psychic. He did not want to do trance work, but the the police and or family would touch the three of us. Colonel Jackson would let them talk to the three of us and we'd put our information together and then the families would run off and take it or police and do what they needed to do. I want to say here, too, that I've never charged for that work. None of us did at CTPA. When you work with families, you you just want to get them answers. That's all. Now, in the past, if somebody's been in Timbuktu, I may say, if I don't have the money at the time, I'll say, just get me there. Put me on a couch. Just get me there. And that's happened. So, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, so, are you still doing that kind of work, finding missing persons? I haven't in a long time because I haven't had anybody that I trusted or I felt would do the work. I've had one offer, and she and I just have not had a chance to do it. I stopped doing it because I became well, Tommy and Lewis both refused to work with me after one afternoon when I became the victim and I almost choked to death. And they had a hard time getting me back. And it was the case of a girl in Round Rock, a young lady in Round Rock. And um, I literally could see my attackers. I could see the surrounding, and I became her. And for some reason, my consciousness got off the rocking chair and became a participant. And, and and Tommy said that night, until we figure out how to do this differently, I'm not talking you down anymore. I'm not going there anymore. Scared the crap out of him. So And me. And me. Yeah. I, it was so real, I had a thumb bruise on the left side, on the right side of my, my I mean the left side of my, uh, my neck. There were three, what? there were three attackers. So, you know, that's what happens to me when I do past life readings. I go back and forth between seeing it from above or seeing it as an observer and actually being the person. And it is not easy going through someone's death process with them. And most of the time I can pull back out. But um, So I know what you're talking about, although I don't, I have never had the experience of, you know, actually being harmed by it like you were. Um, I've worked with family since then as a psychic, but not in trance. Yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. I mean, parents call, police call. I have a a thing about not going to the police stations, but I'll be glad to meet them for coffee or they can come to my house. Or um, I've done a lot of work like that since, just not as just not in trance. Yeah, that would scare me going into trance in a murder situation like that. So um, if, uh, here's a question. Have you noticed how very many people who are highly gifted the way you are also have day jobs 
And the reason I'm going there is because of all the people who listen to this show who are going to think, wow, I wish I could do stuff like that well enough that I did it full time and didn't have to go to my job at the insurance company or or whatever. And, you know, I used to think, and I have done this work full time for many, many years, but most people do not do that. And I finally realized one day in the future, in the not-too-distant future, everybody's going to have a day job because we are becoming the new indigenous. And in indigenous society, the shaman, the spiritual healer, has a day job. He works like everybody else. But he does healings and that sort of thing, trance work, whatever, um, in the evenings or on the weekends as needed, and people compensate him. They always exchange energy for energy. But it's not necessary to do this full time. We've been going through some really, you know, rough years the last few years, and there have been quite a few people like me who did do it full time. But in the future, that's not going to be the pattern. It's going to be just like the shamans. You don't do it full time that way. There's no, no one has anything invested in people being sick. They, they've got a job. But I see what you're are, saying. Okay. People who are doing this part time. Um, shouldn't feel like they're not fulfilling their mission. They are fulfilling their mission. Does that make sense? That and I, I think there are so many more of us that are waking up, so to speak. It's not like every town has one or two people. Now a town can have hundreds. So yes. we've, we're spread out more. There are more of us to do the help and the work. Yes. And there is, I'm, my vision is that it won't be that long before there's a healer on every other block. Like in you know? like in the Asian countries. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you just their house. Mm-hmm. They don't have a Boy, when I first started here in Austin, this is one of those I remember when stories. When I came yeah. back, when I was in my 30s when I came back, I was exactly 30 when I came back to Austin. Central Texas Parapsychology was starting up, There, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be racist here, so public, please don't, I'm, that's not, I'm just using this as a description. Austin was split up into the brown part of town, the black part of town, and the white part of town, keeping in mind that schools had not even been integrated for maybe more than 15 years at the time, so it's still a new thought. East Austin was a mixture of Mexican-American, Mexican, and black. And and then the rest of Austin was a mixture of Mexican-American and white. The high, edu- highly educated, making money, Mexican-Americans or Mexican families. Okay, that or said. Latin Americans. Or Latin, right. Latin, yeah. We're a college town. Austin, Texas is a college town. So we have a huge mix. And, and ever since I came back here when I was 12. I remember then we also had Berkstrom Air Base. So this is a very international town. But for the locals, that's how it was broken up. Now, in, when I was 30, there were Cumanderos, which is um, an indigenous uh, form of Mexican, Latin, Mexican-American readers, not gypsies. You walk into their homes or their offices, and it's usually their homes, and they're big statues of Jesus and Mary, and that very Catholic, very, very Catholic. There was one black man who sat on his front porch from sunup to sunrise 
365 days out of the year. You never went into his home. You waited in line on his porch and he on his lawn, and he would call you up to the porch. You could give him a dozen eggs. You could give him a puppy. You could give him money. He didn't mind. Whatever you wanted to exchange was fine with him. His wife would bring him coffee. She'd bring you glasses of water or lemonade. This went on all day long. Then in, And then there were the Kumanderos, and there might have been a dozen that I knew of that would pray for you, do healings, give you readings, all that sort of thing. White-skinned people, maybe four of us. That was it. And we were underground because it was not – and that's when Texas parapsychology was so important because he created that to be an educational uh, situation for the public and very controlled. The people that he allowed to work there really knew what they were doing. But he also insisted on all of us teaching, even if we taught one-on-one, at least once a month. And we had lectures there. Austin, in spite of how international it was, was still closeted, except for the locals that I just described. So over the years, now there are thousands of us you can pick up it's amazing to me it's amazing that it's only been in the last 30 almost 40 years that this explosion in austin texas has happened i can look around at a psychic it's fair happened. it's happened what? everywhere though it's happened yeah, everywhere everywhere yeah yeah you're in houston right yeah you're in houston and yeah. i can remember the reputation that Houston had at one time as being devoid, completely devoid of anything spiritual or metaphysical. There weren't even readers there. I'm sure there were. They were probably underground. Dallas, yeah, Fort Worth, there were a lot of them. See, here's so, the thing is, I grew up in Dallas, Elaine, and I was under the impression, and this is this is all, you know, like based on, on our impressions of these places because I thought, Dallas was a wasteland, and I can remember even just like 10 or 12 years ago going up there to do healing sessions in a metaphysical bookstore that had absolutely no signs on the front, and you had to know where it was in order to find it. It was secret. You had to enter the back side of the uh, shopping mall, and it was, and there was no sign there. You just had to know where it was. And it was word of this mouth. Was, they didn't advertise anywhere. And gosh, was that the, at that time, I knew that Houston was full of metaphysical shops that advertised freely, and there were all these readers and healers. And I, you know, to my experience, Houston has always been the most spiritual place in Texas because I See, lived in Austin, and I didn't experience it as being particularly spiritual. So it's wow. all about, yeah, it's all about your perception and who you knew and all this stuff. So yep. I'm feeling we knew what we knew because we were guided to be where we were guided to be. Oh, I agree with that. Absolutely. But the celebration was open on Guadalupe 35, 40 years ago. That was probably our first metaphysical bookstore, our store, period, in Austin, Texas, was celebration. And yeah, they were right on Guadalupe, right downtown which is university area, and uh, we've had and and uh, Spirit Bookstore down on South Congress. I mean, they were open for over thirty years. They've recently closed because the property's been sold, and it's going to be a multi 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 use 
complex now. But um, yeah, Dallas is. Dallas had North Texas Parapsychology Association headed up by John Ketchings and his mother Bertie, and that was thirty years ago. More than when I was there, I never heard of it ever. Oh, and so they were now, huge, Lois. Yeah, Dallas is hugely. I mean, it has gotten they've gotten very open about all this stuff. But Dallas used to be ostensibly very, very um, conservative. That's you know, my ex-husband's a lawyer, and he said, "Boy, that's where they give the absolute criminal worst sentences. They'll put you under the jail for 99 years for the slightest little thing." And it was very Bible belty, and so you know, it's real interesting where where your spiritual experience opens up, I think it's where they want you to be. Because for me, it was Houston. And we had the Aquarian Age bookshelf for so long here in Houston. And it was probably, God, it was open 40 years, and it started back in the 60s. But um, anyway, so I think we were guided to where we were supposed to be. And and that's, and that's interesting information for other people who are, who when they listen to this, go, oh, well, what I feel is the most spiritual is maybe where I'm supposed to be. So I think that's Absolutely. Important. Absolutely. And, um, so um, tell me about your audio history project that you're doing, these recordings. Oh, the, tex- the Texas History Project, that's a working, uh, it's, a, it's a working title. We don't know what we'll call it at the end, but right now I'm calling it the Texas Psychic History. I'm interviewing psychics. I'm interviewing living psychics. I'm interviewing family and friends of those that have passed away and doing some research on some of them. There will be a section for what I call support people, books and gift gift stores that have supported us over the years, like your aquarium. Even though it's closed, I hope to interview either the owners, if they're still living, or people who work there, take some pictures, do some research on them. Uh, secret societies, I can do that through public domain and all kinds of places. And other, and then there's also going to be a, a section of uh, what it's like to live with a psychic and a healer. I'm including healers in that, and that's going to be talking to families and friends of people that I've interviewed. And all of these categories, and we'll probably think of other categories, I wanted to do it because I was talking to uh, Julia Chambers, who is just an absolute brainiac when it comes to numerology here in Austin, and she didn't know who Miss Hipple was. Do you know who Miss Hipple is? I've or heard Miss Hipple was Austin's first white-skinned psychic that worked for the public. She was a nurse. There is a fortune-telling law on the books in Austin, Texas, and quite frankly there is also in many cities and and where they could literally come and arrest you for doing fortune-telling. But she was the first one here in Austin that hung her shingle out, so to say, so to speak, and said, come get a reading from me, $5 a piece. She'd work when she was not on shift. She raised her only boy as a single mom, and um, she died when she was in her 90s in a nursing home. Well, when Julia found out, when I realized Julia didn't know who Miss Hipple was, I thought, oh, my gosh, who else will get lost? in the process. So I said I'm going to I'm going to do something to help the future people, future generations know who these people whose shoulders they're standing on, especially those that are practicing openly because Miss Hippo went to jail 3 times. They arrested her 3 times for fortune telling. 
So you ran it right at it. You know why those laws are there, though, is because it because they're trying to control the people who uh, the gypsy types who are trying to cheat people out of their jewelry or or scaring them to give them lots of money so that they don't have bad things happen. You know, they're trying to keep the gypsies from cheating the public is what those laws were there for, and it was just out of ignorance that they were lumped everybody into it. But, you know. Right. um, So Mm -hmm. are you hearing any of these uh, curanderos or any of those people who seem to have predated the uh, white people doing this? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I don't remember the man's name that I was telling you about. I call him the porch man. Uh, but I'm going to find him. I'm going to find his descendants. I want to interview them. And, yes, the Cumanderos, there are three Cumanderos here in Austin that have wonderful reputations. In fact, one of them is a man who is a fabulous herbalist. He has studied literally worldwide and worked at – he there. There was a, There are two grocery stores here in town that have been here forever, it seems like, the White Spot and the Green Spot. And the Green Spot was on Manor Road for many, many years, neighborhood grocery store, looks like somebody's little white house. And then the other one is in Deep Austin. In Deep Austin was where he lived and worked, and he had the back part of that grocery store. He sold candles. He sells herbs. Man's in his, probably in his 60s now. But he's even been on Larry King. He's been on Johnny Carson when Johnny was still alive. I mean, the man is an herbalist deluxe. And so he's part of that Kumandato group. His name, do you remember that? Jose Prero, P-U-E-R-O. Prero, okay. Which is a very unusual name, last name. And we're thinking, I've not talked to him about it, but I'm thinking probably Mayan or Mayan descent. He looks, hmm. he looks Mayan. Friendly, yeah, well, just the sweetest man. I haven't seen him in many, many years. I'm going to have to wander down there. Yeah. And, you know, I was when I lived in Austin, a lot of my friends went to Alicia Sanchez. She's. I saw some very interesting people coming out of there. You know, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Thank you. Still doing readings, and I know people who swear by her, Alicia Sanchez, yeah. She has an excellent reputation, and I'm serious. I have not thought about that name in many, many years. Thank you. If you know how to get her. I'm sorry? I've got a friend who got her phone number, and I'll email it to you. Please, um, yes. With your audio history project, how is, are you going to have a website where people can access it when you're done, or how's that going to work? Absolutely. I had I had a lot of them recorded on a computer that was stolen. And, of course, now we have the cloud, so I'm having to go back and redo and catch up. But my goal is by the end of the summer, by the end of August, maybe, maybe fall sol- solstice is a good date, to have all of this researched, and then I want to turn it over to a good webmaster or whoever and have them create, because that's not my talent, give them the content and let them create all of this so that by the end of the year, I I want to launch it the first week in January. And it is free. There's no membership cost for it. It is not an advertising venue. It's an educational venue. And I will be adding all the time to one or 
all of those categories. And also, as people grow and they publish books, like you publish your next book, then I, I will probably do a shorter interview, have a picture of the book, and, and update, because people don't just stop growing at the end of that interview. Uh, you know, you have a grandchild. I want a picture of you and your new grandbaby. You know, this is a historical element of who you are, of who these people are in their lifetime, how they've contributed, how they've helped the masses. So I've got a couple of people on here with their hands up, and I, I want to say, and we'll open the line if you have a question or if you have uh, information to contribute, uh, but Elaine is not doing readings on the show today, but if you have something that you want to say, uh, I'm going to first off, if it's okay with you, Elaine. Sure. Open the line to a uh, person who's been holding the longest, and that's area code 858. Okay. Hello, ladies. Thank you so much for taking my phone call. How are you today? Good morning. And um, I was not sure if Elaine will be doing some readings today. No, she's not doing readings on the phone today. We're not doing readings Uh on the radio. Okay? I'm going to check with the caller. Well, then the other caller has hung up. So that was what they wanted was readings. And the reason I don't do that educational venue and, um, you know, there are so many other shows where people do free readings, but that, that's not what this one is. I want people to come here and learn stuff. Um, they can always call me. I do a lot of phone phone work, so they can, and, and I have... There's information on the Internet for me and uh, to find me, and um, I yeah, like that's that I do a lot of phone work. How to yeah. get in touch with you on the show page, and then your phone number will be on your website, or do you want to oh. give your phone number right now? Uh, well, if anybody's listening, it's area code 512-922-4723, but it is on, it's on, it's out there, it's on the web. If it, It's Elaine Ireland Psychic, and then I'm in Austin, Texas, if you need a, uh, if you need a locator of some sort. So I'm out there, my number's on the web. Area code five one two nine two two four seven two three. And your website is have several. Elaine uh Elaine Ireland Psychic dot com and then uh Leo blog, Elaine Ireland Leo blog. We're Leo. in fact we're in the midst right now. My friend Kramer Wetzel, who's an astrologer and also a techie, we're in the middle of transferring all of the ElaineIrelandPsychic.com into blog form. So the page may look a little funky right now because we're changing everything. But you can, those those are the main ones that you can find me at, uh, and I'm on Facebook as well. Alrighty and then. Twitter. Okay, we've got about eight, seven, about seven minutes left. Is there? I, I would like to go back to the major um, arcana, and I would like you to um, tell us any particular major arcana card that you feel has meanings that the average. And I know a lot of tarot readers will listen to this show now and in the archives. Um, if there are any readings or are any meanings for a major arcana that you think the average reader does not know that you would like to share, 
the tower card. The tower yeah. card is um I I always take time to explain the the tower card because of the way it's colored. And it looks like it has a lobster crawling out of the water with two dogs. Some people say those are the hounds of hell. I look at those dogs as protectors. The dogs are facing away from the water towards the towers, which are on the left or the right, and the coloring is is um, you're coming out of blue water, which is spirituality, and then you're walking on green grass, or it looks like grass. You don't see a shoreline with your pebble, with your grays, your browns and beiges. And you see all this green, which is healing. And then the path that this lobster-looking critter is on is very crooked, and the, and it obviously goes up. And then you've got the blues and and what looks like mountains. And what's interesting about that card to me is that, let's call them the, the hounds of hell, are protecting you as you get out of your transformation, because that's what that blue and healing is all about, the color green is all about healing, and then there's a line drawn, and when that line, when when you get to that line, the dogs are going to turn around and say, "What makes you think you deserve to walk between the tower, the twin towers of wisdom? What have you learned that will allow you to take your next step upward?" And reminding people that that path is windy for a reason, because like in a car, you slow down at the curbs. And and especially on a tight curve, you slow down and you look at where you've been and you look at where you're going more carefully. And the Twin Towers of Wisdom are are places that you share wisdom and you get wisdom. It's learn it's like meditation. You learn when to talk in prayer and you learn to listen in meditation. And those twin towers, there are two of them. And the number two is all about preparing to be unified with something because the number three is the unification number, the together number. It's like a man and a woman make a baby. You and an idea make a business. Two things make something. So you, along with those twin towers, what are you creating on your path? What are you going to leave in the Twin Towers for others to learn from, and what are you going to accept and be given and use? That card, okay. among all of the major ones, can be the most confusing for people. Okay, that's the Moon card, and, and I think you said the Tower card. But I'm looking. The at Tower that card, moon. right? Mm-hmm. No, it's the Moon card. The, the Twin Towers says, of Wisdom. Yeah, that's the card that says the Moon at the bottom. Oh, yes, it does. I'm sorry. Yes. The tower. The tower is the one with the lightning. Okay. Right. So, yeah. I'm sure looking for a yeah, deck where that's the tower card. It's actually the main card. And, and you think of it as a tower <laughs> card because it's between the twin towers of wisdom. Right. But, and I apologize for that. Yes. But the, um, and I think it's interesting, too, because you've got, You've got groups of threes in there. You've got the moon, which has the super subconscious, the consciousness, and the and the subconscious. And then you've got the twin towers, and then you've got you. That makes three. And then you've got the little critter coming out of the water and the two hounds of hell, and that's three. So you've really got nine on there, which is completion. So that card is just so rich and yet so simple and so deep. Yes, you're right. The tower card is... Totally different, yeah. 
Yeah, people falling out of the tower as lightning hits it. And I was taught that the moon card had to do with anxiety or um, mental illness. So there are so many different meanings, and and I'm really excited to hear this new meaning for that card. So um, it's a growth card. Of course there's anxiety. Where am I going? What's happening? You know, should I be frightened? Who are these dogs? You know, it's, yeah, a lot of the anxiety there. Yeah, and then you mix that with the death card, and you've definitely got mental illness. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know what also I've noticed is different readers, based on what they think the card means, will get different ones together that have a completely different meaning that if, if another person were reading the same card, it means something totally different. So those cards don't fall into place in the same way for every reader. No, they don't. And 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 another thing I think that's important for the public to know is even if the public comes to you and they have a a a knowledge of the face value of the cards, and please, public, don't get stuck with your interpretation, because every single meaning we have your energy, your guides' energies, the face value of the cards, and then what the reader is going to get on your behalf. We're combining all of that for you. So don't get stuck on the face value of what you think the cards or what you've been taught the cards mean. I have to tell other readers that when they come for readings all the time. Don't read the cards. <laughs> Pretend you don't know anything about them. No, no, no. Yeah, so. that's why I don't people, when I'm doing a phone reading, I don't tell them what card is there if they already know some card meanings because they're going to start making stuff up that's not about, you know, what. I'm reading because the cards mean something different to them, yeah. So Absolutely. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today. It's been a very interesting uh, talk that we've had, and um, I'm really proud you for doing your history project. I think that's just that's one of those giveaways that I think is just awesome, and um, I'm just really impressed. Um, so uh, thank you. You're more than welcome. I'm having a ball putting it together. It's going to be a lifetime project. You know that. And and it's just, I, I, I hope people enjoy it. When it's up, I hope the public enjoys it. I'm sure they will. Okay, thanks for being here. And we're just about done for the day. So um, I want to Um, he's on radio show here on Blog So be sure to talk to us or listen to us talk on Friday, Friday. And um, thanks for being here. Uh,